Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Seeds and Weeds podcast, brought to you by Small House Farm. If you're looking to celebrate plants and the people that love them, then this is the podcast for you. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Bevan Cohen. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Seeds and Weeds. We have got a very full show for you today. We're going to be sitting down to chat with Michigan herbalist Jim McDonald, and we have covered so much in this interview. We talked about the very first herbs that Jim ever worked with, his go-to winter tea blend, his Lindera herbal intensive workshops, why he doesn't capitalize his name, and something about sunbathing on the roof and Speedos. I don't know. There's a lot packed in this episode, and uh, there's a lot we didn't get to talk about either. We never even touched on the Great Lakes Herb Fair, which is pretty much the coolest herb conference around. It's in September every year here in Michigan. Jim's one of the organizers of the event, and uh, you do not want to miss it. So I'm going to put the link to the Herb Fair down in the show notes so you can check it out. You'll also notice down in the show notes that there's a link to the episode that we did with Aaron Hamilton from the Mushroom Conservatory. In today's interview, Jim talks very highly about some mushrooms, and I thought you might be interested in the link so you could learn more about mushrooms and maybe even pick up a kit from Aaron and try growing your own mushrooms right at home. Now, before we jump into the interview, I just want to say thank you really quick. All of you that have left comments or a rating or sent some emails, I really appreciate all the feedback. You know, it's very cool to hear from folks that are enjoying what we're doing here. I'm glad that you're enjoying what we're doing here. Um, I'm enjoying it too. If you really like the podcast and you want to show your support, you could always join our Patreon community. Not only does your membership help us keep the podcast on the air, but members also get some great stuff. Exclusive coupon codes, small house products, seeds, books, all sorts of groovy perks. And in January next year, 2024, just right around the corner, we're going to be launching an herbal co-op and members are going to be able to purchase herbs and teas at very special discounted prices. And this is going to be exclusive to our Patreon community. So that's another good reason to check it out. You can find that link down in the show notes or directly at patreon.com slash smallhousefarm. All right, let's do this interview. Jim McDonald's life changed in 1994 when he drank tea from a wild plant that he harvested from the land that he lived upon. And since those first sips of strange tea, his life in the woods and meadows of southeast Michigan has been centered on the plants and how he might share their virtues to restore wellness to those around him. Jim is a community herbalist, a manic wildcrafter and medicine maker, and has been an ardent student of the most learned teachers of herbcraft, the plants themselves. Jim, this is so cool, man. I am beyond excited to have you on the show with us today. Yeah, I feel the same way to be on with you. I think it's a fair bet that many of our listeners are likely familiar with who you are and the work that you do. But for those that aren't, could you share a little bit about your background and the work that you do as an herbalist? And in the bio that I just read, it mentioned something about a wild plant that you brewed into a strange tea that started you on your journey, right? Uh, and the curiosity is totally killing me on that. So if you could tell us what the plant is when you're telling the story. Uh, I would love that. That'll be great because it's a funny story for people who can relate. I was occasionally going to college at Michigan State University in the early to mid 90s. And I lived on, in Okemos on this old overgrown farm, not being farmed anymore, but in this old farmhouse. The rent was really cheap except in the winter when it was cold. And then the heating was incredibly expensive because there was like no insulation. One of my roommates left out an herb book and I picked it up and I'd always, you know, I'd not been into health. And although I loved hiking and I we would go backpacking and I would go canoeing, I wasn't really into plants per se, but I got this book and, you know, the way things lined up, I was also walking back and forth 
uh, past the botanical gardens at MSU when I would occasionally go to class. And I would see plants that were growing in my yard and they had these nice little things that said the name of them and what they were. And I would look them up in the book and I don't know what it, well, actually, do you know what it was? I think the plants like were like, ooh, we got him, grab him, tuck him in. We're going to take over his life. So I started, you know, I just started making stuff like right from the get go, I started making stuff. And the first plant um, that I wild harvested was burdock. It was growing by the side of the barn and I was reading about it and it seemed like it was good for everything. And so I was like, okay, cool. It's the root. I got to dig it up. And I had, you know, a small little hand trowel. Um, and I started digging. I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea that the root was going to be about two feet long. You know, for people that don't know burdock roots, they're like a two to two and a half foot long carrot-ish shaped, you know, taproot. Um, so I started digging and then digging more and then digging more and digging more and digging more. And then, you know, I finally got the, the bulk of it off and um, took it into the kitchen and, you know, washed it off and scrubbed it down and chopped it up and put it in a pot and simmered it for a while. And I drank the tea and I waited for something to happen. Burdock is not generally the plant as a, and even calling it a medicinal plant is a little bit weird because it's a lot more like a vegetable. It's not the kind of plant where you drink a cup of tea and you're like, oh, I can really feel this acting on me. And so I drank the plant and I waited for something happened and nothing very specific did. It didn't taste bad. It was interesting. It was, you know, kind of sweet and earthy. But in retrospect, I think that everything else in my life is because like it all happened because of that first tea. It was like that was the thing that reeled me in. And I don't know if I would have been drawn into herbalism if it wasn't connected to the place that I live. You know, like at the time, there were not many herb stores. I lived in a college town, so there's like a food co-op with a, a bulk herb area. And so that was pretty cool. But most herb stores would have like little white boxes of Alveda tea and, you know, capsules. Um, there weren't as many tinctures back then. I don't know if I got interested in herbs and the first exposure I had to it was like buying products at a thrift, you know, like a health food store would have been the thing that drew me in. But having it be something that connected me to the land that I was hiking on and all of the beautiful natural places that I like to be in, that's the thing that pulled me in and sucked me in and keeps me in as well, because that's the part that I think that I love about herbalism more than anything else is sort of like the way it connects me to my place. Oh man, I love that. And I got to say, I was trying to guess in my mind what the herb was going to be. And I don't think I ever would have guessed burdock. My first was wintergreen. Oh, yummy. Yeah, yummy indeed. And it was a very similar thing. I picked it in the woods behind my grandma's house was my first encounter with it. And it was the same kind of thing. It was that being there in the woods on the land, finding these plants, I think makes it so much more meaningful than a sterile box on a shelf in a store somewhere. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like for people that are, that are buying stuff uh, or buying, you know, bulk herbs or buying preparations that are already made. I mean, that's, that's great. I certainly didn't and still don't only harvest everything that I use, although I try to get as much stuff myself as possible and as much stuff from people that I have some kind of connection to as I can. But like, I mean, if I get star anise, it's not like I could tell you the name of the person the star anise came from. But when I can, um, if I can't either because it doesn't grow by me or because it's not sustainable to collect where I live, and that's a significant issue we always need to be thinking about, if I can possibly get something from some individual 
individual person that I have some kind of connection with and can feel good about the way that they're gathering stuff or the way that they're making, you know, things that they make. And that's the direction I want to go as much as I can uh, make it happen and then sometimes afford it. Now, one of the classes that you've offered, I mean, for a number of years, I think, uh, Lindera, the Herbal Intensive Program, I think it's kind of like your signature program, really. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about the class and how that got started? Well, so all of my teaching got started by people being like, will you do this? 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 I mean, really none of it was self-initiated like from the get-go. Like since it started, then it was self-initiated. But like I first started teaching because I was going and spending time in a place and maybe like whenever I tell stories, like I kind of want to anonymize because I'm not like telling stories about people who might be like, I didn't want that story told. But let's just say I was in a place where there was um, people without shoes and fire pit. And one of the things that I noticed is that there's a whole like significant portion of the population who will be barefoot around a fire that does not look down to see whether or not there are hot coals outside of the fire ring. And so I was at this place and um, people would step on hot coals. And because I was learning and I wanted to try stuff out, I would, you know, go and I would maybe grab some self-heal maybe one time and maybe I would grab some wild bee balm another time and maybe I would grab some cinquefoil another time so that I got to try out different things on these little relatively superficial burns. And after doing that for a while, the place was a place that did host classes. They're like, you should teach classes. I'm like, I don't know anything about teaching classes, but I got sort of like nagged into it. And then I was like, okay. So I offered like a seven hour herb walk is my first class ever. Wow. And yeah, I know overachiever. And then um, after teaching sort of like classes every other month, you know, um, for a couple of years and then finding a few other places to teach and doing a little bit more classes, some of the people who were coming, you know, regularly to classes would like, you know, oh, you should do something more comprehensive. And so I decided that I would do like the first iteration of the Lindera Herbal Intensive. And at that time, it was just called like the Four Season Herbal Intensive. And and I think it used to be like one Thursday evening and one Saturday a month. And then after a few years, I was like, that's not enough time. And then it became, you know, every third Saturday. And I started to get people coming from farther away. And I realized that that was harder for people that were coming from farther away to make the trip that many times. And so then I started doing like roughly one weekend a month for a, about eight months. And the focus of that course is to kind of like help people expand from the way, the way that I think most people start learning about herbs, which is like, I have this problem and what kind of plants might be good for this problem or mushrooms or whatever, or I found this plant or this plant is growing or I grew this plant. Um, what problems is it good for to a little bit more nuanced herbalism where we think like, oh, sure, like garlic is good for coughs from infection. That's totally the case. But garlic is maybe not the only one herb for everyone's cough because it is a little bit drying. And so if someone had a respiratory infection, and their lungs were really dried out and you give them a lot of garlic, it'll fight the infection, but it might also dry out their lungs a little bit more. And that doesn't make garlic bad. It just makes it not the right plant for that person. And so like, what else could they use? And, and that's the concept that herbalists generally call energetics, where we're like, you know, oh, if tissues are drier, we want to do something more moistening. If tissues are, you know, damper and your mucus is really wet, we want something more drying. And a lot of the herbalists that I know who were teaching this information, and there's a lot more now, but not a lot initially back when I started doing this, it seemed like they were like, 
I'm going to teach you basic, take this thing for that problem, herbalism. And then if you get into our my, my intermediate or advanced class, I'll then teach you this stuff. And I just decided that I want to teach people that right from the get go. And as long as you teach it well and you don't make it more confusing than it needs to be, you know, most people already get this. Most people, you know, if they if they come in in February from like being outside all day long and being a little bit chill, they're not like, I just want to eat like half a watermelon right now. They want maybe something more um, warming or they want something that has some like fat or some lipids in it. So we kind of inherently have this draw, you know, that when it's really hot out, we we have a draw to consume foods that are a little bit more cooling. And then in the wintertime, you know, we generally have a draw to be having foods that are a little bit more warming or in the case of fats, like a little bit more insulating to help to hold our heat in. And so the the course and the teaching, which I try to fit into any class I do, whether it's a, a day class or an herb walk or a class on mint family plants for a master gardener group, I'm always trying to fit those ideas in to get people to sort of like think about, oh, not just is this herb good for this problem, but is this herb good for this person? Because I think we've all been in a house where like everyone got sick, maybe from the same person. They all have the same illness, but they each have it a little bit differently. You know, maybe someone's cough is a little bit damper and another person's cough is a little bit drier and another person doesn't really have a cough, but they've got a sore, scratchy throat. Sure. Oh, what's an herb that's good or anti microbial against this particular pathogen, we want to look and be like, well, how does the person have it? Because that's the important part. And that's where herbalism can be really nuanced. And I think like fun and creative and engaging you know, in terms of like having you think about things. You know, a lot of times when I teach people about plants, I like to say that, you know, uh, herbalism is about relationships, um, relationships with ourselves and the plants, but also kind of what you're saying, or if I'm understanding, is that it's also kind of about the relationships that our bodies have with these different illnesses, the way that we mm-hmm. express them. Yeah, because people sort of like, it is extremely, it's not that I've never gotten them, but it is extremely rare for me to get really like a thick mucus damp stuffy head cold where everything is like really thick and stuff. Like I, I tend to get like dry or maybe a little bit runny. My wife, her tendency is to get that thick stuffy head cold and almost never be dry outside of like, you know, when the furnace is running all winter long or whatever. And so that means that we each have different herbs you know, that, that help us. And maybe actually, cause I've been with Stephanie, my wife for so long, a part of what made this system connect with me is all the plants that were really best for me when I was sick were not the plants that were best for her when she was sick and vice versa. And so there was some like lived experience, like in, in my life and relationship that reinforced this uh, concept. You know, now we've got listeners that they're from all over the country and stuff. So not everybody can come to Michigan. Uh, do you have some online courses that you offer too? Yeah. For the longest time, I just did, you know, in-person classes all the time. And I love, I, I love, 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 love being in, in a group. And one of the things that I like about it so much is you can kind of like feed off of the group, but also like, I just get such a, um, a lot of energy from seeing people who didn't know that they love plants suddenly realizing that they love plants. But it was actually right before the pandemic started, we started doing like some live streams and then um, recording some stuff. It's been really cool. You know, it's a different kind of teaching. And, um, you know, initially when I started doing it for some of the classes where there wasn't also like, I think the first ones we did, there was a class in front of me and we were recording it to then live stream while it was happening and then made available later. But since then I've done some where I'm just like presenting the material. And that took, 
took a little bit of getting used to because I, I, I love to use humor in my teaching. It's really important to me. It makes things fun. And so like when I tell a joke and there's no response at all. Crickets. Yeah, it's, it's totally crickets. Or e- even if people are um, online and their, their cameras are off and I can see their little square, you know, I can't hear the feedback. But that was just a learning curve. And it's actually been really cool because when we started doing I have um, individual like kind of one-off classes that people can take online, but I also run the Lindera course online as well. And the online version mirrors the in-person version. There's field recordings of the herb walks that we do in, in the, the live class so that there's that experience of being out in the woods and not just seeing the plant, but seeing the habitat that it grows into. But I started to see that like, oh yeah, it's different. And I think because it's a learning curve and it's hard for me. Well, the thing about being an herbalist actually is like people can be herbalists because their community like supports them in being an herbalist. And so offering classes and teaching and making stuff for people and working with people, it's like what makes that possible for me to do and um, you know, somehow have figured out how to make a living doing it is the fact that people come and take my classes. And so I feel really devoted and dedicated to making that experience really good for them. You know, not just that they're learning stuff, but that they're having fun and they feel good about the way that everything is happening. You know, that's the goal. Well, and I think too, especially during the pandemic, but anytime when they were interacting online, that connection that we can have where we can, again, build that relationship and have that sense of community, I think is really important. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I know that you spend a lot of time crafting medicine and writing articles and helping people in the community. But if we came to your house, Jim, and looked right into your medicine cabinet, what would we find in there? What herbs does Jim McDonald use the most often and why? And wait, let's make it tricky. What are your top three? If you had to pick three herbs? Oh, good Lord. Top three is hard. Like top three kids would be easy because I have three kids. So that would work out great. <laughs> um, top three plants though. So I am sitting right now next to the cupboard full of bulk herbs. And there's got to be like a hundred and some jars in there, like half gallon jars. Like right now I can see that there's some raspberry leaf and some calendula and some plantain and some wild cherry bark. There's probably like a hundred bulk herbs-ish that I have in the cupboard that I use for myself and my family. And if I'm working with a person that I can maybe make like a starter tea for them. Um, What I found is that I just don't have the capacity or the space to be people's bulk herb supplier and, and keep up with it. Like it's, it's an amount, like I wouldn't be able to harvest that much herb. I tried doing it for a while. And then I think I realized like everyone has my awesome nettle, but me. So, and then when it comes to like, Oh, oils, I probably got like 30 or 40 and tinctures. I might have, I'm, also probably like around a hundred, but these are all plants that I know. So one thing um, that I think is important to me, at least, and I don't want to make this to, you know, have to be what applies to everyone else. I don't want my idea ideology to have to be everyone else's ideology. But for me, the plants that I use and teach about, I have taken and used every single one of them. I've made teas with them. I've made tinctures with them. I've made oils in them. I put them in baths and sat in them. Um, so I really have like a firsthand um, experiential understanding of them, but there's probably like, you know, roughly 20 I keep coming back to. And honestly, even though I use, you know, some plants that are like kind of like the ooh plants, you know, like I use black cohosh and I think black cohosh is great. I only get it organically cultivated, ideally out in the woods and not just in a garden, but it's not sustainable together here in Michigan and in different places where you live. It may or may not be sustainable to wildcraft, but it's something we need to be mindful about. I will very, very, very rarely use something like ghost pipe, which is one of those ooh ah plants, but 
there's a lot of other things I can use. The plants that I use the most are like plantain. The plants that I use the most are like marshmallow. Um, I use mullein a lot. I use a lot of really common, very sustainable weedy stuff a lot. And that I think is the bulk of the mainstays that I use. So I could I could keep adding plants to that, but you said three. I feel like I've left out a whole bunch of dear friends. I know. I, I knew three was going to be impossible. I was originally going to say five, and I said, no, let's make it really impossible. But I think I like what you said about when you the plants that are so sustainable, that are weedy plants, that are easily accessible to all people. Those are the ones that I'm drawn to the most as well, maybe just because they're the easiest to get my hands on, but they also are incredibly versatile, and a lot of people can use them for a number of different things. Yeah, I think a lot of the plants that are like the... The, the ooh-ah plants, you know, and um, again, black cohosh, uh, golden seal. And I think you can use barberry for not everything, but a lot of the stuff people use golden seal for, and it's an invasive plant. And you don't even have to dig up the roots. You can just chop the lower stems and they're bright yellow and super bitter and rich in berberine. But a lot of these, you know, common weedy plants, their their versatility and all the different ways you can use them and combine them because I'm really big into formulation. I sometimes use like just one plant for a person, but most of the time I'm creating like, oh, maybe three to five plants on average that seem to fit that person's need the most. And if I thought about a plant like plantain, you know, which is one of my go-to plants that I think is like really one of the most amazing things ever. I just keep coming back to all of the things that that plant does. When when people learn about plantain, almost sometimes people I've heard it referred to as like, it's a beginner plant. And I understand that because it's really safe and it's common and it's easy to identify. But in terms of like, I've used plantain for really complicated, serious health issues in a way that it had more versatility and, and virtue than a lot of the, the ooh-ah plants. Something I, I hear people say commonly is there's like um, plants that are strong. And I think that might not be the best way to refer to things, because if we think like a plant is strong, then if we think about what let, they like poke and cleavers as lymphatics, like poke is a strong lymphatic. And I understand why people would say that. But then you might think like, oh, that means cleavers is like a weaker lymphatic. And that would not be true. A better way to think about it is like poke is really forceful in its action and cleavers is really gentle in its action. And neither one of them is stronger than the other or more effective than the other, just in the same way that um, forceful people aren't stronger or more effective than gentle people. And on the whole, as a herbal philosophy, I think start with gentle and then be really conscious and mindful as you add things that are more forceful so that you're not overshooting the mark or kind of like pushing on someone harder than they need to be pushed on. That's an herb thing, but that's also just like a life lesson, right? I think so. I think a lot of social problems might be <laughs> resolved with that kind of thinking. But I, I understand that when I look around, this is not something that's really caught on. <laughs> right, right. If you've ever been on the Internet. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, I didn't want to ask you a bunch of herbal medicine questions because I'm sure that you get that a lot. Right. But since you're on the show, I got to ask you at least one because that's what the listeners demand. So since winter is here, which means it's like cold and flu seasons come in and all that sort of stuff. If you had to suggest a basic herbal regimen. In, something basic and, and broad, what might you suggest to folks to help them stay healthy and happy this winter? Okay. So I have to, before I get to herbs, I just have to say like herbs are amazing, but sometimes, especially related to immunity,
community, we really have to focus on nutrition and make sure we're getting all the nutrients that are raw materials that our immune system needs to function efficiently. And probably if I had to say three things that could be taken as supplements, that would be really important. And ideally you can get these from food, but if you can't get them from food, either because you don't eat that kind of food or you can't afford to eat salmon three times a week, making sure you're getting enough vitamin D is super important for immune function. Making sure you're getting enough omega-3 essential fatty acids that have EPA and DHA in them. I totally cannot say what those acronyms stand for. Um, It's really important. Making sure you're getting enough magnesium is also really important. And those are common nutrient deficiencies. If I thought about like herbs that support the immune system to sort of like strengthen it and make it more resilient, uh, I might think about a lot of the medicinal mushrooms like Hand of the Woods, Grifola frondosa or reishi. Ganoderma suge would be the one that grows in this country or lucidum or turkey tail mushrooms, Tramites versicolor. And if you can consume those um, in teas or in some cases as food or infused into broth on a regular basis, they sort of have a strengthening action on your immune system. Astragalus, which doesn't grow wild, the species we use does not grow wild in this country, but astragalus taken on a regular basis is also sort of like an immune strengthening tonic that we can consider. And then around my house, like if someone starts to get sick and there is a lot of nuance, and again, people can get sick in a bunch of different ways, but I usually have some kind of like like elderflower based tea that is one of the first things that we can go. And so like the the base tea would be like elderflower, some blackberry leaf, which is astringent, but it's largely in there for flavor, some kind of mint in there. And I, I love orange mint. Orange mint is like my favorite meant the mint to add into tea. So elderflower, blackberry leaf, and orange mint, and then some like rose hips in there is really good. And then if I need it to be a little bit more warming or to stimulate a little bit more circulation, I can throw some ginger in there. If I need it to be a little bit more like calming or relaxing, I can throw some lemon balm in there. Um, So I can tweak it in different directions by adding different things to it. But that elderflower, blackberry leaf, orange mint is like a staple here. We've got like a, a gallon jar full of that. And if someone has that feeling in the back of their throat, usually at like 3.45 in the morning, or they uh, are starting to get a little bit sniffly, that's sort of like the first tea that we make. And then we can tweak it again for different people by adding different things into it. But it's, it's really important to have stuff like pre-made because if you're the person in your house and then you get thick, even if you know a lot about plants, it's hard to figure stuff out when you don't feel good. So you said vitamin D. Um, there's something to be said about good old fashioned sunshine, too. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, in Michigan, where we're at um, this time of year, the sun is low enough in the sky that um, even if I climbed up to sorry for the image that I'm going to um, even if I climbed up onto my roof and in a speedo and like laid out there for a few hours the atmosphere is filtering the sun's rays that produce that vitamin D and I I won't get a lot um but it is important spring summer fall to get a, enough time outside um ideally when the sun is higher in the sky where you have I mean you have to be naked but to have like enough skin showing to absorb it so and you don't have to be out enough to get sunburns or worry about anything like that it's like if you if you allow yourself you know a good half hour to get some good sun exposure when your shadow is shorter than you are 
at all spring, summer, and fall. That'll help to build up your vitamin D stores. And uh, you said it's best in Speedos? Yeah. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Speedo. Now we're almost out of time, Jim. So I got one last question I got to ask. Everywhere that I see your name, I notice that it is very deliberately always written in lowercase letters. Um, no capital letters at all in your name. Uh, why is this? What is this about? So um, there's a couple of things about that. One is it's like at least an attempt at like a little bit of humility. It's a little bit and, and weirdly and ironically influenced by my love of E.E. Cummings, although he always wrote his name down with capitals. And his poetry, whenever he wrote I, it would be little case. But a large part of it is I just really like the way the J with the dot on top and the I with the dot on top look next to each other. I think it looks cool. So it's the aesthetics of it. It's the aesthetic. It's mostly the aesthetics. <laughs> That's awesome. Jim McDonald, my friend, this has been a real treat. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Oh, it's a delight. I look forward to our next crossing of paths, maybe at a library near me. <laughs> Sounds awesome, man. Well, there we go. And here we are. We're at the end of another show. Thanks again to Jim McDonald for being our guest and to all of you for tuning in. Remember, you can always support the podcast by joining our Patreon community. You can find that link and many more at seedsandweedspodcast.com. This episode was edited and produced by all of us here at Small House Farm. And the music we're enjoying right now is Box Prelude Number 21, played by Oleg Krylikov. I'm your host, Bevan Cohen. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Howdy, friends. Bevan here. You know, the Seeds and Weeds podcast is made possible in part by Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company, rareseeds.com. They're America's top source for rare and heirloom varieties from around the world, and they're publisher of the Whole Seed Catalog. Their 2024 catalog is chocked full of heirloom goodness, new varieties, recipes, stories, and gorgeous photographs. You can order yours now at rareseeds.com.